gathering, turning to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Last Lord's Day, we considered the gospel according to Leviticus from the festivals of Israel that where the majority of them were yearly, annual feasts or festivals, festal occasions, for the most part, other than the Day of Atonement, which was called the Day of Affliction, it was the only mandated fast day in the nation. We do not have a mandated fast day in the church, but the Lord has indicated that we ought to be having times of fasting he assumes that we're praying. He says, when you pray, Matthew chapter 6, he assumes that we're doing good when you do alms. And so the same language is used when he says, when you fast. That he's assuming that we are going to take time away from our normal meal or activities to seek the Lord, even if it's one meal a week or at a time burdened about the salvation of the children or just the, the uh, state of our hearts or the state of our nation or just the state of our church to take time to seek the Lord even if it's to take one meal or even to drink water and to take that time to seek the Lord. So we looked at the festivals and interestingly the Sabbath is the first one mentioned, and some would skip and start with the Passover, but you look at the language of chapter 23. It says, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy gatherings or holy meetings. So they were, they were uh, days of public worship. Even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. And so when you look at the festivals, you, you would include the Sabbath, and there would be a, the fact that the Lord has sovereignty over our weeks and over our years. And even the Jubilee of chapter 25, every 50 years. And some would indicate that the Lord allowed the people of Israel to add the Feast of Purim that was initiated in the days of Esther and Mordecai, which may be the feast where Jesus... Uh, comes into the temple and says that uh, that he is come unto him and drink and uh, may have been the feast of Purim which was God's deliverance from the Holocaust and that you remember that Haman sought to exterminate the Jews and so the Lord does give us liberty and just I know it's an extension of that thought but People have wondered about Christmas and Easter. Certainly, one of the festivals did deal with the resurrection. The festival of the waving of the sheep, the festival of first fruits, certainly pictured the resurrection. And uh, there's obviously a debate in Christendom whether Christmas should be set aside appropriately. So in our country, we have secular holidays like New Year's Eve and, and uh, Independence Day and 
Memorial Day and Labor Day. We, and supposedly we had religious festivals like Christmas and Easter, but they've become more and more secularized. But that shouldn't um, certainly halt Christians from remembering Christ's birth any time of the year. They're not limited, and most definitely he was not born. Um, and even Easter, which is the word Pascha in Greek or originally in Latin, Passover. Um, but Easter, we're, we're thinking, is more along the lines of resurrection. But again, every Lord's Day, it's the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week. It's the day of resurrection. Let's not be limited to an annual feast. But the Lord showed that all of their feasts were religious in nature. They were all uh, to be set aside for public worship. It was a break in their rhythm. It was a time for the people to stop what they were doing. It was a kind of a Sabbath, although they were not all called Sabbaths. Most of them, heavy work was halted. It says no servile work was to be done, so they could do light work. Unlike the Sabbath and the Day of Atonement, it says no work was to be done whatsoever, um, only that which was necessary. And so is the so is the Word of God today. Uh, people dismiss it, but yet we plead we plead that the Lord one day will bring it back to, to this land, or bring it back to the church. But in Western Christianity, it's it's no longer an important festal day. For God's people, it's a day of rejoicing. It's a day to uh, remember that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this message is kind of a sequel to um, the festivals that we considered uh, last Sabbath morning. Remember, read from Haggai means festal one. And, uh, there are two words used for festival or feast, and one is the word Hag, uh, Haggai, festal one. So. And you can name your child a happy one or a festival one. You can name your, your next son Haggai, or maybe we can encourage our next grandson to be born and name Haggai. It's not going to work. Uh, just like I was hoping for a philologus or a theophilus. You just turn it upside back and forth. You know, it's philologus is lover of the word, and theophilus is God lover. So you could turn around and say Lagathias or Lagathilus. Anyway, are different than they used to be, but there are some uh, names like Elijah that are coming into into vogue uh, again, and uh, other names that I've mentioned to the kids. You know your names in the Bible, and most of the time they have no clue what the Bible. Twelfth grade on the bus every day. I appreciate your prayers for help be able to give the gospel throughout the year. So it is believed that the festival days really move from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I don't think there, need, there needs necessarily to be any spiritual gymnastics, spiritual um, stretching to be done here. Obviously, the Sabbath being weekly takes us all the way back to creation. That's why it was initially uh, established. 
to remember that God is our creator, that he gave us a rhythm of seven days. You don't get that rhythm in nature like, again, like the month and the year and the day. They all are found whether it's the moon or the sun. But you ask someone, where did the week become established? Whoever instituted that? And they have no clue, especially if they've never read the Bible. You can't find it in nature. And yet they've tried again to expand it or shorten it, and it doesn't work. God made our, our bodies seven-day clocks. And so we're remembering creation with the Sabbath especially, and then right from there you go from the pa- to the Passover. That's the start of our new life, the new creation when we are delivered from the slavery of Egypt and we're by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's wrath passes over us upon Christ. And that's the beginning of our salvation, isn't it? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. Then you move on to unleavened bread, which was the 15th. The Passover was 14, but right away you have unleavened bread a whole week, 15 to 22. And if you look at unleavened bread, um, it, the idea is that through the Passover, we're purified. They had no leaven in, on their, lump, in their lumps. They were to leave hurriedly, and they were to leave without leaven. The spiritual point is the blood of Jesus Christ washes us from all sin. All leaven is gone by the Passover lamb. And so you have the thought of holiness, especially in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And again, this was a whole week. So they got to be, the rhythm was broken up, and they had a festival every single day, a special convocation in the first and the last. But they enjoyed that breakup of their routine. And this is what the Lord wants us to do. We, 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 can, we can be robots. And the Lord wants us to stop what we're doing and and time with him and spend time with each other and what a refreshment it should be to be together on the, in the Lord's on the Lord's day in the Lord's house. And I trust that we're cleaner presence in seeking him and confessing him. Remember the illustration of the the uh, the woman that had been in a certain ministry for many years and she moved away and she came back for a service or two and uh Someone asked her, she mentioned that she really was blessed by the ministry of that particular church for many years. And, and uh, someone said, well, do you remember any particular messages? And she said, no, I don't. And they thought that was kind of unfortunate and you know, I guess she really must not have been blessed that she doesn't even remember a particular message. And she said, all I remember is that I felt cleaner every time after the word was, was brought like water going through wool. She said, I just was cleaner. And uh, another illustration was a prostitute who got saved, a street woman, and they asked her about her experience. She apparently got converted. And her response was, I just want to go to heaven now. Because she said, I've never been clean until now, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to get dirty. And I really want to go to heaven now. She was afraid of, of falling away, and yet they had obviously teach her the gospel that the Holy Spirit is there to cause our lives to change and to be holy. 
And you and I know that that woman that was caught in adultery was powerfully blessed by Jesus when he, when he said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. She became a clean woman, walking with the Lord. And, and uh, I'd like to hear the sequel of that, the husband that she married, the children that she bore, and the, and the godly testimony that God wrought by his salvation in her life. In the same way with the, the woman in, at the well of Samaria had five husbands and was living with a man, and yet Jesus saved her soul, and she became a different woman. And doesn't it happen to all of us, who are, whether you're young or old, that the Lord forgives us of our sins, and we no longer have leaven that's our loaves. But then the fourth festival was remembering the resurrection, the festival of first fruits. And do you realize that the first fruits uh, Festival is always, always on the first day of the week. Tomorrow after the Sabbath. Sabbath was the seventh. And already, way back in Leviticus, you have the anticipation of and the prophecy of the Lord Jesus. When the sheep was waved, it was always, always to be on the first day of the week. Tomorrow after the Sabbath. And so you, again, have a pro progression of thought in these festivals. What took place on the first day of the week, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits? Pentecost. Do you know Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, was on the first day of the week? Count seven Sabbaths plus one day. That was always on the first day of the week as far as the uh, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That's a picture of the tightness of the kingdom of God. One kingdom, but now worldwide, Pentecost. And then it doesn't surprise us that trumpets follows Pentecost. Trumpets speak of authority, speak of news. The evangelization of the world now that it's become a worldwide church. Go ye into all the world and trumpet my word to every creature. And interestingly, the day, and people wonder, isn't the Day of Atonement redundant to Passover? We've already had Passover as the second feast, the beginning of our salvation, but why the Day of Atonement so later in the feast uh, enumeration. Well, I think there's several answers to that. This was a national day of repentance. But I believe as you look at the progression of the feast that it's our final forgiveness. As it were, our first forgiveness is at Passover. When we come to know the Lord, we are firstly forgiven. But there's a day coming when all of our sins will be gone forever. When we will be glorified when we will be made perfect. We will become spirits of just people made perfect. And so the Day of Atonement speaks of our anticipation of glorification. But there are times that we ought to have national and church repentance, days where the church repents. And what does it say in Second Chronicles? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It was a day of affliction. 
it wasn't a necessarily happy day, although happy is the day that you and I repent, but especially when we have national repentance. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a revival where we have repentance in the White House, repentance in Albany, repentance in this nation? But the church, days of prayer, when God moves where we realize we're one kingdom, though we're Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist or Bible or Reformed. It's one kingdom. We have to keep that in mind. So often we are denominational in a, in a negative sense. We've got to see brothers and sisters of different stripes and names as brothers and sisters if they know Christ, if they love Christ, if they if they're, if they're firm on the maidens in different stripes, just like Jesus taught his disciples. Remember John and James forbid a man from preaching Christ because they wouldn't, he wouldn't follow them. And Jesus said, no, if he's not against me, he's for me. Let him preach the gospel. And isn't it amazing? Here's a man who wouldn't even follow the apostles in that particular line, and yet he knew it was... He was the Lord's. Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Booths. Think about it. For a whole week, it must have been a lot of fun for kids especially. I don't know if it was so much fun for adults to have to live out under the elements and to have some dew that settles on you during the night and listen to the owls in the dark. But they built uh, lean-tos, they, they made tents. Would you love that for a whole week? To, not to cut off branches and boughs of trees? A pilgrim in this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me in thy powerful hand. We're not going to forget. The Bible says in, in Revelation, God's going to tabernacle among his people. That's what he did in the wilderness. He didn't just say, you live in tents. God lived in a tent. The tabernacle was a tent in the wilderness. He lived in the, in the middle. What does it say of Jesus? The word became flesh and tented among us. He lived in the outdoors under the, under the clouds. He had no place to lay his head. He walked miles and miles and miles, was hungry and thirsty, was maligned, was degraded. He lived among us. He tented among us. The Feast of Tabernacles. A whole week together. A memorial of our days here on earth. We'll be having. We won't forget. We won't forget. Jubilee. Though it wasn't mentioned as a festival. Speaks of the fact that we'll again have final liberty, eternal liberty with the Lord. And so we look at this afternoon, especially Passover and the Day of Atonement. Both were fulfilled at Calvary. In a sense, we can say at the communion table, we're rem- this, is, this is the believer's remembrance of Passover and remembrance of the Day of Atonement. Calvary was the day of our redemption. Calvary was when the lamb was slain and the blood was applied. Calvary was when our day of atonement took place. 
Both, in a sense, are commemorated at communion. The Passover and the Day of Atonement. May I say that I suggest that the Passover speaks of our, the immediate fulfillment of our salvation and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the ultimate fulfillment of our forgiveness and, and the eradication of sin. We can say as we come to the Lord's table this afternoon, O Lord, I will praise Thee. Though Thou wast angry with me, Thine anger is turned away, and Thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day thou shalt say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. In a sense, the Passover says, I am, God is forgiving me. The day of atonement, God, one day I'll be totally forgiven. It will be over with. No more confession. Can you imagine the day when we won't have any sin to confess? Where we won't be struck by our conscience because of our lustful thought or our exaggerated story, our pride, our unbelief, our lust. Oh, what a day that will be when, the, as it were, the scapegoat. What does that mean? A goat that escaped, but he didn't escape. It's our sin that's, that escapes. The goat dies. The, the goat is struck by lightning. Only the man that took it out into the wilderness returns. The goat, representing our sins, is taken into the wilderness as far as the east is from the west, so far as he renewed, removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is the Lord's Passover. Jesus died for us at Calvary. Our forgiveness comes because of the, the sacrifice of Jesus and the application of his blood. You had his blood applied to your doorpost, to your soul today. Man who's listening on the internet, do you know that Christ is your Savior? Has His blood been applied to your soul? You see, Israel and Egypt were both liable to God's wrath. Some indicate that you know, only the Egyptians were liable to God's wrath because Israel fled this for Israel if the lambs weren't slain and the blood was not applied. And if there was an Egyptian household, we know there were Egyptians that went with Israelites into the wilderness, out of Egypt. Does that indicate there were some Egyptian homes that had the blood applied? For there were Egyptians that left. I don't think we can indicate that, that there were proselytes that snuck into the Israelite homes where the blood was applied. But if an, Israel, if an Egyptian slew a Passover lamb and applied the blood the wrath of God, the death angel would have passed over that home. And all the wrath that was paid was often, uh, there, are, there are people absent from communion tables. This is a time to remember God's son, to honor his son at his table. What did Jesus say to those people who were invited to the feast? They had their excuses. 
I bought a piece of ground and I need to prove it. I married a wife, I need to take time with her. And there were other excuses that people made. People make excuses about honoring the Lord on his day, at his feast. And we plead the blood of Jesus for those who are absent on purpose. The time when Christ is honored, God is glorified. The blood must be applied. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And the blood is important not only for our initial salvation, but our continuing salvation, our eternal salvation. It's an interesting event that takes place, remember, at the Last Supper. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and Peter says in his pride, holier than thou, as it were, over the other disciples, you won't, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter's so tender-hearted, though, if I wash you not, you have no place with me. And Peter says, Lord, not just my feet, wash every part of me, please. I don't want to be separated from you. And Jesus says, no, he that is bathed needs not save to wash his feet. What is Jesus teaching there? If you've been born again, you don't need to be born again over and over and over again. You don't need regeneration and justification over and over again, but you need sanctification. There's two Greek words there. He that is bathed, picturing our regeneration, needs not except to wash. So what Jesus is saying there, if you have not sanctification, you've never had justification. If you have justification, you will have sanctification. If you're born again, you'll grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And I think Brother Rindell mentioned this in Sunday school. A person can have a profession all he wants. If there's no possession, if there's no uh, new life, if there's no growth, there's never been life. How do we know a child's been born? They begin to cry. They begin to breathe. They begin to show signs of life. That proves they've been born. Just like First John says, our brother on the radio said today, that there are indications that a person is born again. His growth in grace is evidence that he has life in Christ. 1 John is a great book about assurances of salvation. For instance, it says over and over again, he that is born of God, dot, dot, dot. He that is born of God believes that Jesus is the Christ. He that is born of God practices righteousness. He that is born of God uh, loves the brethren. There are many evidences that a person has been born of God. So communion commemorates Calvary with a backward look. But may I say the Day of Atonement commemorates Calvary with a forward look. What is? Did you ever notice that in the... We won't be eating bread, as it were, and drinking. We won't have symbols. We will see Jesus face to face. We won't be having to examine ourselves anymore and confessing our sins our sins will be gone altogether. And as it were, it's a day of atonement when you and I are 
completely eradicated from sin. Now and forever, you have the dual picture at the Day of Atonement. Propitiation, the one lamb or the one goat is slain. Remember, there are two goats. Two, uh, two for one, as it were. One goat is slain and the blood is applied inside the Holy of Holies. God's wrath is appeased. That's the point. The, the law is in, under the lid. Take the lid off and the law cries, Come the lid, the atonement lid. He's the propitiation. The, the, the lid is, is, is covering the box. The law is silent, but it is not silent until the blood is applied to that lid. And that every year the blood is applied. What is that saying? Father, forgive them. Apply your wrath to me, but forgive them. It silences God's wrath toward the sinner. That's propitiation. That's first. God being satisfied. Then you have the picture of expiation, sin removed. You don't mix the picture. You don't go out, you don't take the goat out in the wilderness before you slay the goat and apply the blood. The blood's applied first. God has to be satisfied. There has to be a vertical satisfaction before there can be a horizontal forgiveness. You can't mix it up. They ever dared to take the goat out first and don't apply the blood, there would have been instant judgment, dissatisfaction. There would have been there would have been people who died. So the blood is applied. Adam, or not Adam, but you remember Aaron went out with his linen clothes, like Jesus is a common man, died on the cross. Remember his linen clothes were folded in the in the, in the tomb. Aaron goes into the Holy of Holies with his linen clothes and applies the blood. Then the man takes the second goat. And don't think that the second goat had it better than the first goat. The first goat died instantaneously, basically. It was, it was uh, the word I'm trying to use, it was lost its consciousness, became unconscious quickly after its throat was slit. That second goat, though he may have been going out in a jolly mood and maybe he was thinking he was being taken for a walk, little did he know what was going to take place. That's a picture of our sin being removed. Our sin being under the blood, dealt with by Christ. But now, if God is satisfied, if Christ propitiated God's wrath, and we can know our sins are removed. And those Israelites began to understand what was happening. They were, no doubt there were some people that were ignorant, they were smiling and laughing at, at this goat being taken out and, and gingerly and, and joyfully being let out. But the people that understood the doctrine understood, there's my sin, because they put their hands, Aaron put the hands, his hands upon the head of the goats, transfer of guilt, and the people that knew better knew, that's my sin, that's my sin, that's how I have peace with God, the sin's gone, but that goat was worse than the first goat as far as its treatment, for when that fit man took him out as far as he could go, and take him one mile, 
five miles. He took him out of the wilderness far enough and he could not find his way back. He would not find his way back. The picture would never be marred. There was never a time in that annual feast that that goat returned alive. They knew when that goat was let go that God was going to deal with it. Whether it be a predator that would consume that animal, whether it be lightning that would strike and kill that goat, whether that goat would run off a cliff. However, that goat was doomed. That goat was gone. And so is our sin. Brother and sister, if Jesus died for you at Calvary, he satisfied God's wrath and he expiated our sin. It's gone. It's gone. It was transferred, debited to him, and he died in our place. Oh, how he suffered, and he knew he was suffering. The Father's wrath. Why hast thou forsaken me? But then what joy, what peace. It is finished. We just sang that. It's finished. My people are forgiven. Father, those whom you have given me are now at peace. They're now forgiven. They're now under the blood. And we can have not only immediate, but ultimate forgiveness of our sins. And so, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death. He's passed until he comes. The future effects of Jesus. What a Savior. What a Savior. It is a day to rejoice, brother and sister, We're not afflicting ourselves at communion because Jesus died once for all. He wants us to rejoice that he gave himself for us. You and I need to rest in Christ if we're saved, to come with thanksgiving. Do you know the Bible says that he gave thanks for the bread and for the fruit of the vine? You know what that word is? We get the word Eucharist. Rome perverts the term. But Eucharist means thanksgiving. This feast is called a Eucharist. It's a time of thanksgiving and praise. I like what one man said many years ago. He was comparing uh, Israelites in their homes in Egypt before the Exodus. and He said, there's one Israelite in the home that's pacing all night long. The blood's been applied to the doorpost and he's pacing, he can't sleep, he's nervous, he's afraid. And he said, next door there's an Israelite that's sleeping like there's no fear, no nervousness, no worry. He said, which one is more secure? And he said, neither one of them. One of them is happier. One of them has more peace but both are as secure as ever because the blood's been applied. And oh, there's so many believers that don't have assurance of their salvation. They're nervous. They're walking back and forth every day. They're wondering whether they've been saved. And the blood's been applied for them. Are they any less secure than the person who knows and he sings, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Oh, friend, if you're 
in the Lord, if you're in Christ, the blood's been applied, God's wrath has been appeased, and your sins have been taken away, removed. Find peace and shelter in the blood of the Lamb. Give thanks for the salvation that Christ has wrought on your behalf. We wonder, and it makes sense that communion is predominantly observed on the Lord's Day. Well, there are some churches that also observe it on Good Friday. But for the most part, it's observed on the Lord's Day. It's a day of joy and thanksgiving. It's a day of mandated public worship. It's a day we don't fast ordinarily unless there are times of national and church emergency. But it's a day that we remember that Jesus is risen from the dead. No more to die for us. But the fact that he had a resurrection means he had a death. You can't rise without a death. So praise God we remember his death just by considering and rejoicing in his resurrection. But we come to the table not to afflict our souls, but to confess our sins, lest we dare take the symbols that Jesus gave up for our sins. But we confess our sins to the Lord, and then he says, come and partake, come. Take the bread, take the cup. Believe in me. Strengthen your faith. Trust that the Lord will bless us in this meeting, in this time. Jesus is telling us, do this in remembrance of me. But examine yourself first. Make sure there's nothing between your soul and the Lord. Then come, come, come boldly. Come gratefully. Remember, I died for you. The Lord death till he comes. Lord, look, Lord, our life is hidden in Christ. Our past, present, and future are secured by the Savior. We thank you, Lord, for the, the Passover, the day of Passover, day when Jesus died at Calvary, when the ceremonial law was abrogated, when all the types and shadows found their fulfillment in the substance in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that as we come to this table, we are reminded of past events and reminded our sins are being forgiven. We're also looking ahead when he comes again. And as it says, I believe in Hebrews, that he will appear without sin for our salvation. He's not coming to pay for our sins. He's coming to show us that our sins are, are removed forever and ever and ever. They're gone, never to return to haunt us again. We'll never have a second fall. Oh God, thank you so much logic and so much joy in the gospel, and yet we forget these things. We, we don't meditate as we ought. Please visit us. Lord, we ask you to bless us and keep us, to shine your face upon us and be gracious to us, to lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace as we conclude this time and, and 
sit around your table. Lord, that you would put your name upon it and bless it. Please, we can't leave this place and go back into a fallen world without your blessing, Lord. Have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, pray for us. You be blessed. Turn your son away.